0: Hi, welcome to Neuroverse, a podcast hosted by Clara and Carolina, where we discuss all matters from neuroscience to philosophy and
1: beyond. Today's episode is on the mind-muscle connection with a special guest, Jubilant (laughs) Amalandran. Would you like to introduce (laughs) yourself?
2: (laughs) Sure. So yeah, my name is Jubilant and I'm transitioning between being a medical student and a junior doctor. Uh, I have no credentials whatsoever <laughs> to discuss the mind-muscle connection. Apart from that, I've been involved in some form of physical training for the last eight years. And yeah, so the mind-muscle connection is a term I've heard uh, been thrown about, but not really explored uh, until recently.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, I thought maybe today we can talk about what it could mean
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you know its relevance in how we move and exploring how movement can be quite a philosophical concept
3: Ooh,
1: indeed so why don't we begin by why don't you explain a little bit about how the mind is connected to muscle and mm. perhaps and, where the brain fits in as well yeah
2: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so the context in which I've heard Mind Muscle Connection has actually been from the bodybuilding community. Mm. I've never actually been into bodybuilding, but yeah. I think if you search Mind Muscle Connection just into Google, the top searches you know, don't actually come from PubMed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They come from bodybuilding forums mm-hmm. uh, with very little scientific evidence <laughs> and not very clear definition as to what it means. And I don't really want to talk too much about mind because I don't... What is that? (laughs) (laughs) That that would be... Let's not make uh, it more
1: complex than it already is. (laughs) Precisely.
2: But I thought perhaps we could start from brain-muscle connection because Mm -hmm. obviously there's a lot of anatomical and physiological evidence Mm -hmm. which reveals how the cortex is connected to our sarcomeres, our muscle fibres. So perhaps... Should we go over some basic anatomy for our? Yeah, yes, let's
1: do that. Yeah.
2: So, well, the discrete uh, motor pathway that we we're taught at least in medical school and probably in anatomy-related um, uh, degrees as well is starts at the motor cortex, which is um, if you divide the brain from the central sulcus, this sort of the region just anterior to the central Mm sulcus that's where the motor cortex resides Mm. Uh, and the motor pathway is comprised of two uh, neurons essentially the first and second order which are respectively known as the upper motor neuron and lower motor neurons so the cell bodies of the upper motor neurons lie in the the cortex and they send their axons down through the brain uh, through the brain stem as well which is quite a significant region for other matters Mm -hmm.
3: Um,
2: and so we still have the upper motor neuron and its axon and it travels so far down the spinal cord Mm -hmm. and you know the spinal cord is probably the thickness of your uh, index finger and it contains billions of neurons so impressive Um, yeah yeah I know, Clara, you're not a huge fan of the spinal cord. I
1: quite <laughs> like the brain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, But I can't deny its, it's significant purpose indeed. in so many functions, such as motor function. Exactly,
2: mm-hmm. because the cell bodies of the lower motor neurons reside in the spinal cord.
1: And those and are the second order
2: Those are the neurons. second order neurons okay. in the pathway. And uh, then the cell body projects its axon out of the spinal cord, into the peripheral nerve which innervates uh, so activates muscles,
1: muscles. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah what i fo- what i find cool is charles sherrington who won the nobel, mm, the nobel prize, prize. Mm-hmm. he described this pathway from the motor cortex to the spinal cord lower motor neurons as the final mm. common pathway because yeah. he said that regardless of what the inputs are to a human essentially the output is through these lower motor neurons into movement, mm. which is actually so true.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, Sherrington's cool guy. <laughs> uh, definitely. Um, but yeah, so this is, I think, relates to something you've said previously, Carolina, about mm. where something ends and something begins. Yeah. Because... Obviously, we see movement, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, when others move, that's what we see. And we obviously think about it as coming from the muscle. But as you've just alluded to, it really comes from the lower motor neuron. Because for a muscle to contract, it needs to receive a signal from a lower motor neuron. Mm -hmm. Skeletal muscle cannot spontaneously contract of its own accord. So does movement actually come from the muscle or does it come from beyond or before the muscle.
1: Yeah. Related to this is I believe there's actually two types of neurons in the spinal cord that control movement. One is the lower motor neurons and the other are called central pattern generators and these are responsible for rhythmic movements as in walking or you know repetitive oh, movements okay. that we do subconsciously and mm-hmm. that are more reflexive. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: Whereas upper motor neurons that control the lower motor neurons Mm -hmm. this is the sort of movement that has more conscious control involved so if we're deliberately wanting to reach over to grab a cup or a Mm -hmm. pencil that would involve the lower motor neurons yeah Mm
2: -hmm. so are central pattern generators present in the spinal cord yes okay Mm -hmm. but yeah (laughs) I, i think it's important to say that what we've just described what i've just described is one pathway and it's known as the corticospinal tract yeah. in the spinal cord but there are three other spinal tracts which come from different places as well you know just for the sake of completeness there's the rubrospinal tract which comes from the red nucleus descends down to the mid level of the spinal cord the tectospinal tract the vestibulospinal tract and uh, they come from the cerebellum mm. and the vestibular apparatus uh, respectively but yeah I think for today's uh, discussion, mm-hmm. the mind muscle connection, yeah we'd consider that as deliberate movement, mm-hmm. and you know other pathways and tracks modulate our movement, uh, but where we have control, where we have the ability to express, I think comes from the corticospinal tracts
0: mm-hmm. so similar to your experience uh, researching this topic. Um, I also the first page of Google was full of bodybuilder type of websites, mm. and I wanted to go on PubMed to see if there's any you know like empirical data to back up all of their claims, and there is this one paper by uh, Kalatayud,
2: That's it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> In 2015, where they talk about how by focusing on the muscles while working out and they use the example of bench press focusing mm. on the pex, the pecs the, yeah, the and, and the, the triceps, triceps yeah. um, caused a, a larger electromyography amplitude
1: so it mm. essentially so more more nerve to muscle activity yeah.
0: So I'm not a bodybuilder, but from what I understood is, yeah, like Clara said, um, more muscle activity, potentially even more muscle growth and very positive connotations towards focusing on the muscles that you're working out. And then, interestingly enough, I came across another paper uh, titled The Mind-Muscle Connection in Resistance Training, friend or foe. (laughs) It was by Israel Halperin and Andrew Vygotsky and it Mm -hmm. was so interesting how they pointed out the inconsistencies of the Kalatayud paper. Um, So essentially the Kalatayud paper has a very Mm. strong focus on uh, shifting your attention to the internal muscles whereas Mm. um, the Halperin and Vygotsky paper pointed out that focusing to external environment may also have a positive, um, Mm. may lead to a positive performance as well as They pointed out the inconsistency of Katayud who said that focusing on on the muscles may lead to faster recovery and um, just greater performance in general. Um, Mm. They countered this by saying that that's not always the case and that it may actually have negative effects. And a a very clear example of this is when looking at things that require balance, for example, when trying to Mm. maintain balance, it's good to focus on... The external environment yeah,
3: you know points. exactly yeah.
0: However,
1: this is so interesting because it has to do with your perception of space
3: ah yeah. while you're
0: balancing
1: mm. you want to be aware of your relation to space yeah yeah it is interesting
2: Hashtag
1: place <laughs> 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 oh something yeah. i want to mention related to this is when talking about balance i think a key point is that uh, motor control or the control of our muscles is not only for really you know huge movements mm. or bodybuilding mm-hmm. yeah but also just for the simplest things like posture mm-hmm. and exactly. keeping ourselves upright
2: mm-hmm. yeah i, I completely agree and you know we obviously have been talking about the mind muscle connection in the context of sporty mm.
3: you know,
2: sporty activities or strength training yeah but it's just as relevant in playing a musical instrument the example yeah. i was thinking of there's a huge degree of physicality to it mm-hmm. and as somebody who plays an instrument i've experienced times where i've focused on how i play in my mm-hmm. practice uh, compared to focused on the music yeah and both have their advantages
3: mm-hmm.
2: but then i was thinking about it and actually there's a huge parallel in terms of strength training too in that movement is a skill
3: mm-hmm.
2: and it's not just something that we do I think it's less relevant for people who train in yoga or dance, <laughs> such I don't as know. yourselves. I
0: think it still plays a role with like muscle memory type of thing, you know?
2: Yeah. But as in, what I mean is when people go to the gym and lift weights, Yeah. they're just thinking about the weights. Yeah. They're not, I mean, anecdotally,
3: mm-hmm.
2: I've seen many people at the gym sort of mindlessly mm-hmm. lift weights, especially if they're on their phone in between their sets i just think you know if you apply focus and attention to the activity that you're doing whether it be lifting weights or yoga or dance or practicing an instrument Mm -hmm. uh, you will reap more gains
1: yeah and Uh, it also mindful movement makes it a sort of meditation yeah Mm. so yeah i actually i was gonna Following
0: on from what you said, both of you said, I wanted to also counter this paper, countering the original paper. (laughs) Um, So like you said, exactly, meditation and how perhaps, yeah, focusing on specific body parts is a good way to be in touch with the present and tying back into top-down and bottom-up, it's a good way mm. to filter out the external environment and having more control of bottom-up processes. For mm. any listeners that haven't uh, listened to our previous episodes, so bottom-up <laughs> is essentially external stimuli entering the body, so it's going up mm. into the brain, and top-down is usually internal stimuli, such as
1: re- recalling a memory, um, the conscious control of your output
0: yeah Mm.
2: such as movement
1: such as movement (laughs) Mm -hmm. so even
0: though the kataluya paper does make a lot of assumptions i don't think that we can totally dismiss the benefits of focusing on the movement or the body or um the meditative practice you're having at the moment or the music you're playing yeah Um, i think having attributing focus and attention to specific elements of it can help filter out the bottom up process, which may in turn consolidate your top down processes and just have a more mindful and potentially a more solid consolidation of the
1: activity that you're doing. Yeah, it is in a way harmonizing the bottom up Mm. inputs that you're receiving such as, in the case of dance, if you're also dancing with the music... Yeah. Or playing an yeah. instrument, producing the move the music, but also taking it in through your ears. yeah, And then the top-down processes of controlling the movements that produce it. And it's uniting the two.
2: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: So there's a paper by Schoenfeld, published in 2018. And they actually found that in a resistance training exercise participants who focused on who had what they called an internal focus which is focusing on the muscle contraction during an exercise they had greater increases in muscle flexion strength and an increase in the size of the muscle mm-hmm. than participants who had what they called an external focus which is focusing on the outcome mm-hmm. of the exercise mm. but the what i found particularly interesting was this was only the case or the results were only significant for exercises of the upper limbs.
2: Oh.
1: Um, so they for they did the mm. elbow flexion exercise, and they but they
2: did a leg extension. Didn't they? they did
1: a leg extension one that used the quadriceps, and they didn't find significant differences for this. And so they hypothesized that humans use because we use our upper bodies more for fine motor control and mm-hmm. things such as gripping or mm-hmm. hand gestures like I'm doing now, a lot yeah. of. <laughs> um, because of this, they have a reduced ability to develop a mind-muscle connection with a, our lower body, mm-hmm. they as in humans, and an increased ability to develop a mind-muscle connection for our upper body. Wow, mm. so interesting. Yeah.
2: I think the, perhaps, yeah, what it suggests Phylogenetically as well is that uh, the rubrospinal tract, which I mentioned earlier, coming from the red nucleus mm. in the brainstem. What uh, is that in charge of? It helps with certain posturing okay. of of flexors. But yeah, it terminates before it reaches the lower limbs. So I think that also has some role to do with why perhaps this effect was better or only present in the upper limb rather yeah, than the lower limb. Yeah, that's
1: so interesting. That's really true. Mm. Um,
2: and yeah, what makes humans quite unique is our fine motor ability.
3: Mm.
2: But I think something you were saying earlier, Carolina, triggered what I wanted to say about uh, mind-muscle connection being bi-directional.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's not just a you know, top-down process. It, yeah. it certainly is a bottom-up process. and mm. you know, So yeah, when you focus on a muscle during a movement, what that really means is your stretch receptors... Uh, and your proprioceptive receptors are sending signals up
1: and those are in your muscle
2: which are in your muscle yeah Mm -hmm. they're sending signals up into your brain notably the somatosensory cortex
3: yeah
2: Uh, so there is this bi-directionalism Mm -hmm. and i'm curious as to how different practices may be more expressive for example i think dance is quite is predominantly an expressive uh, movement practice you know you're performing yeah whereas Correct me if I'm wrong, or you really disagree, but perhaps <laughs> something like yoga is more impressive. There's not necessarily a, a performance element to it. It's a very personal practice. Yeah, I and definitely agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's good. It's
0: internal, right? And yeah. about connecting to yourself. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's definitely not a performance. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. Interesting.
2: And in my current movement practice now, I try and incorporate both mm-hmm. elements. So I definitely
1: want to show off sometimes <laughs> yeah exactly no I'm not <laughs>
2: afraid by to your
1: movement practices
2: as in uh, the training that I do now is predominantly calisthenics oh, so body okay, weight nice. exercise and gymnastic rings but that that's the performance aspect okay. and then I do also you know train uh, with weights mm-hmm. but that's I think the the bottom-up process that we've alluded to uh, you know I train to help me with my bodyweight practice but Mm -hmm. more as an introspective practice so every rep is an opportunity to not only feel your body at work Mm -hmm. but also to meditate as well to watch how your mind reacts or how do you react to the difficulty of lifting a weight and you know there's value in both Mm. and exactly as you guys have said Uh, the union of the bottom-up and the top-down processes are what I think complete the mind-muscle connection, or at least the brain-muscle connection for now. Mm -hmm. Because we haven't yet gone into what mind-muscle could mean.
1: Wait, I had a question related to that. What do you think is the benefits of practicing having more top-down control of our movement and practicing exercises Mm. uh, in this way? Where we exert this conscious sure. control,
2: well, I actually think that the only way we express our mind is through somatic motor control, like, like I Sherrington to think, said, yeah. It's the final final common common pathway, pathway. so
1: all outputs come through this, which is true because even speaking. Exactly, I was the first thing that came to my mind when I heard that was like, oh, but speaking is sound, and then I was like, no, it's actually
2: movement. But it's movement, yeah. The other
1: person takes it in as sound. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it's
0: true. The only way to perceive someone else's internal state is through observing their external outputs. Exactly,
2: and the only external output we have control over. Is our muscle and specifically our skeletal muscle because we have muscles which are autonomically controlled too
0: wait yeah I was gonna say do we have that much control over our muscles like to what extent so you know mm. if something nice happens you smile you're sad you know you have, you frown some some of those movements are, are involuntary sometimes you can't hide your facial expressions mm. right? that's true but it's learned it is learned
1: or is it? <laughs> I think I think it is. I think babies learn to do you think so mimic facial expressions. I swear I remember reading something about how some expressions are just innate and like no one teaches it. It just happens. Mm. Well, it is innate in that to humans, smiling equals happy, frowning equals sad. Like yeah. other animals have different uh, meanings to their facial expressions. Yeah. Mm. But ultimately, facial expressions do. communicate our inner states yeah Mm. so i believe we can learn to control it for example actors and actresses Mm -hmm. Mm. that's true
2: yeah so perhaps there are at least two degrees of somatic voluntary control one where there's an element of posture including our facial expressions subconscious or Mm. you know involuntary uh, or less conscious because I do think we still have some control over how we choose to express mm. even our less totally controlled expressions like including our posture and our facial expressions especially actors yeah but then the one thing that we still have complete control over is our gross movements mm. as in not disgusting Large as in scale. gross motor like not large, not fine, fine, fine. Okay, okay, got it. Subtle, <laughs> subtle movements. Okay.
0: Our disgusting uh, movements. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Yeah, but, that
0: employ um,
1: all of our limbs. Yeah, a great mm. proportion. proportion of our muscles.
3: Yeah.
1: Mm. Um. This reminded me that by practicing yoga, yoga asana, which is the physical practice of yoga, mm. where you are practicing conscious control of your movement and also just being. Yeah, conscious of what's happening while you're moving and all of that, you're actually increasing your ability to control your inner state as well and your mind. Hmm. And so, in a way, I don't know, this process of developing your mind-muscle connection, Mm -hmm. you're also just developing your mind. Hmm. I guess we've discussed how it is a two-way thing. Yeah, But I feel this is a good way to think about how mind to muscle can also just influence mind itself. Mind
2: itself, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And is this linked to the idea in yoga uh, philosophy that the mind and body sort of this one thing? Yes, combined?
1: through the practice of physical yoga, you do come to realize or you practice the unity of the mind and the body.
2: So when you are moving a body, you are in essence moving the mind.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: I feel like that's maybe such that's, a good way to... Put it though. I feel like maybe that's a bit of a leap. I don't know if moving your
1: body equals to moving no, your mind. Moving your body in a mm. conscious way.
0: Yeah, I think there yeah. is a great influence but I'm not sure one equals the other. <laughs> I'm just wary about using the word equal.
2: Mm-hmm. But yeah, I suppose the other final thing mm-hmm. I wanted to touch on is how you know we see it in medical conditions as well. In psychiatric conditions that patients... People with psychiatric problems uh, often exhibit unusual movement. Mm-hmm. And there is a spectrum. So uh, in Oliver Sacks' book, River of Consciousness, mm-hmm. which I think <laughs> has been mentioned before, uh, Sacks talks about, or oh, he quotes uh, Eugene Bloiler, a psychiatrist, describe how his patients move in a catatonic raptus, uh, sort of fluctuating between states of catatonia, which are just immobility and very slow movement, to very sudden, uncontrolled exhibitions of superhuman strength. Mm. Not necessarily superhuman, but Mm -hmm. beyond what would be expected of their abilities. And I think that that demonstrates this axis of mind and muscle. Uh,
1: What type of disorders did his patients have? I'm not sure, I'm afraid.
2: But I myself have noticed on placements... Uh, on psychiatric wards mm-hmm. uh, patients with depression their gait is often unusual so the way they walk is often quite slow and yeah again so I just think that shows movement how. is
1: like a reflection of the mental state exactly I was
2: going to use that yeah. word I yeah.
1: think that's the best way to put
0: it it's a yeah. reflection mm.
2: exactly and then just one personal anecdote I know you've uh, Sprained your ankle right now. Carolina.
1: Yes. Carolina's uh-huh. currently sitting with a huge <laughs> pack, pack of ice on her, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
2: But yeah, when I sprained my ankle mm. 4 years ago, I genuinely became so upset from the immobility. Oh yeah. That the inability just to move the same way mm. that I would have normally done. And I think this is quite common. I've seen it amongst other friends too. Mm-hmm. Maybe it should be something that we could do a study about about the immobility. psychological effects of immobility,
1: but how can you dissociate the effect of pain and the effect of immobility
2: because after a while the pain goes away
1: oh okay i actually
0: that oh my god okay so the fact that immobility can lead to feeling more down because you can't do your usual movements and that kind of thing i actually just remembered something so um, they showed that in people who have Botox on their face, mm. it restricts their facial movements. It right. restricts their, um, the muscle contractions and their facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And it shows in psychological studies that they become more um, psychopathic because they are unable to mirror or to express this, uh, the normal emotive facial mm. expressions. So because they have that inability, they themselves become a bit more like emotionless. So, again, that's the way that muscle movement influences the mind. Oh,
3: my God. Mm. Wow. That is really cool. There's
2: another classic psychological study uh, where I think they asked participants to adopt Power postures. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Heard of this? Very classic TED talk. I forgot the name, yeah. but I think that's one other example. Yeah. Maybe in a You're more positive way. You're supposed to look at
1: yourself in the mirror doing a power posture and yeah. just <laughs> Guys, yourself. we actually
2: all are in a power posture right now.
0: Yeah, in our own uh, talking.
2: Yeah, especially <laughs> me with my ice pack. I think that's the most powerful
0: one of <laughs> all. Really <powerful>. empowering. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose to summarize then, mind muscle connection is complex and hard to define.
0: I think we have approached it from the perspective that maybe it's a reflection or it affects, the muscles affect the mind or the brain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. On that note, (laughs) we'll end today's episode. We hope that you enjoyed this episode with our very first guest speaker. Be sure to check out our website for, if you're interested in looking at any of the papers that we mentioned. Mm. And thank you for joining us, Juby.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Clara, Carolina.